All right. Our scripture today is Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. If you're using the Bible in front of you on the pew, it's page 1030. And while you're looking that up, I just want to take a minute to tell our guests about this little blue connect card here. It should be right there by the hymnal and the Bible in front of you. And um, if you would just take a minute to fill that out, our pastor would love to send you a note this week just thanking you for being here. All right, Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said of them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Last week of that, I'll try to come up with something more invigorating for the next sermon intro. But uh, you know, don't you, it's kind of awkward when the pastor gets a little too personal. Uh, but just bear with me for a second. I need to confess something to you, Julie, uh, here publicly. Just uh, you know, in the evenings when I dip ice cream for us after the kids have been put to bed and all that, we eat our supper. Well, sometimes. Sometimes I try to figure out which bowl has more ice cream, and I keep that for myself. Uh, and I try to rationalize it by, uh, well, you know, I'm bigger, so I can handle more calories or whatever. But really, I just want more ice cream. Uh, just, <laughs> you know, the, the, the selfless thing would have been to give you the bigger bowl. But anyway, just had to get that off my chest. You know, the funny thing is, you know, we laugh, but all of us have these little selfless, self, I mean, selfish things that we do, right? We all have, sometimes we have big selfish things we do, but really when you add up our day, there's probably a whole lot of selfish little things that we do, because one of the things we struggle with the most is selfishness, and that's been the case, I guess, since the fall of man, since we sin first entered the world and into our hearts. And we, we have this desire to please ourselves, to make ourselves happy, even if that means uh, at the expense of someone else. And so, 
Uh, this is this is something not new. This is I mean, you look around the world and you look at all the problems that we see in this world, and how many of those would be taken away if there was no selfishness. But selfishness is the way of this world. But we're in a series titled Heaven on Earth. And we pray as Christians, just as Jesus taught us to, that His kingdom would come, that His will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so in this series we've been trying to look at some of the things like, how are things done in heaven? What is it like when God's will has its way? And, and how can we maybe bring those to bear in some way in the areas of our lives that we have the most influence on? And, you know, whether you're single or whether you're married or whether you've got kids at home or you've got grandkids or whatever the case may be, uh, we have influence, especially with our families. And especially if you have influence with a child, uh, maybe as a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a parent, then, you know, we have a special opportunity there to, in our relationship with that child, reflect some of heaven onto earth. And hopefully our prayer through this series has been that our families would be just small mirrors that reflect a little bit of heaven here on earth. And so we've looked at several ways that we've done that. We've talked about, you know, God and God's kingdom. He's the supreme authority. We've talked about, you know, that uh, discipline, you know, radical obedience matters. Uh, both to God and then in the home how we reflect that. We've talked about unity and how and security in the home. We've talked about uh, most recently being approachable last week. And if you've missed any of those and, uh, and it's something that, you know, especially if you've got kids at home and you're on this parenting journey, uh, then I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to any of those that you might have missed and just make it your mission to bring a little bit of heaven on earth. But we end this series today with maybe the, I don't know, the cornerstone? The, I mean, aside from God as the supreme authority, which is foundational, this is perhaps the, most, the single most important thing that we get right if we want to reflect heaven on earth. It was central to who Jesus was. It was central to what he taught. And so we're going to end on this note today. Selfless generosity. Uh, and we have this story that we read today, and it reminded me of something I've heard about uh, millennials. Now, millennials get a bad rap in our world today, and people love to bash millennials. And I think that's something we should be careful about, by the way, um, because they're the next generation. And actually, there's a lot of uh, reasons to be hopeful about the next generation. And I was listening to a, a businessman the other day speaking on a radio thing, and he was talking about when his business, he hires hundreds of millennials. And he said, I don't get it. I don't see the problems. You know, I, I have great employees. These people are mature. They're dependable. They're motivated. They're, uh, you know, they want to change the world. They're passionate about it. And uh, he said, I love hiring them. Uh, but he said, I keep hearing about these horror stories. And uh, I don't know. There must be two different kinds of millennials in the world, he said, because there's the kind that I hire and work with, and then there's the kind I hear about. Uh, and he said, you know, he's got buddies that say, yeah, they'll have, uh, they'll interview a millennial, and the the parent will come with the child to the interview, or will, inter- you know, somehow intervene in the hiring process with these young adults. And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he said, I would be like, mom, get out of here. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> oh. 
Well, this is not a new thing. Because there were some young men in the first century AD, maybe they were the original millennials, right? Because that was a new millennium too. Uh, the original millennials, and, and their mom came to the interview. Her name was Mrs. Zebedee, I guess. <laughs> it was, uh, her husband was Mr. Zebedee, so we can only assume. And she was the mother of these sons, James and John, who were part of Jesus' inner circle. And these two sons were ambitious, or at least their mama was, because here's what we read. And we just read a few moments ago that the mother of Zebedee's sons, that'd be Mrs. Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. In other words, when you come to your throne and you're sitting on your throne, you know, the, the two most powerful people on your left and right, let those be James and John. Let those be my boys. All right, put them up there with you. Uh, <laughs> she came to the interview. Unbelievable. Are you, do you think Jesus rolled his eyes? I think he probably did. You've got to be kidding. What in the world? Now bear in mind, these guys were probably in their late teens. You know, like high school age. We don't think about that sometimes when we read about these young men who followed Jesus. But they were likely young men. And so... Uh, maybe that makes a little more sense. Which, by the way, just time out. In the church, we've gotten this notion that you have to uh, do certain things and live a certain number of years before you can be entrusted with responsibility or before you can serve in the church or before you can lead in the church. Now, I'm not sure where we got that, but it's not from the Bible. Think about it. Jesus sent these young men out in pairs by themselves while he was still there and doing ministry they were out there preaching the gospel of the kingdom they were out there casting out demons they were out there doing the work of the gospel and when he left after just two or three short years with them guess who he entrusted the whole movement to so I think we do our, I know the culture is different there's more education expected we have a longer life expectancy so some of our you know, life stuff has gotten pushed back and, and we don't consider people adults to a later age than they would have. But still yet, <laughs> you know, if, if 16 to 18 year olds could do the stuff that the disciples were doing when they followed Jesus around, I think we could expect a little more out of our students and I think our students can expect a little more out of themselves, right? And they ought to be able to have experience. And I mean, people in their 20s and 30s, these were the people who launched the church. And so let's get them involved. Let's expect more out of them. Let's expect more out of ourselves, 20s and 30s peoples. <laughs> All right. We can time back in, or however that works. If I can remember where I was. So she came to the interview, <laughs> right? And we scratch our heads about that. You know, when I went and, and uh, I was working at Domino's, and they gave me a promotion to a senior customer service representative that I think came with at least a 15 cent raise. My mama did not call up and get me that raise. Alright, I had to earn that. <laughs> at least that's what I think. Mom, you're probably listening online. <laughs> you didn't call them, did you? Oh, crazy. 
And word about this gets around to the other disciples. And we're told when the, when the ten, you know, the, the other guys heard about this, they were indignant with the other two brothers. Jesus probably had a whole lineup of mamas after that. <laughs> Saying, but my son, no, my son. You notice, I mean, and this is not the only spot we see this. This is an ongoing thing with the disciples, an argument about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. These guys had ambition. And if Jesus hated ambition, he picked the wrong guys. But I don't think Jesus hated ambition. What he hated was selfish ambition. And he expected something more from them. So he calls a huddle. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, everything you've ever seen or known in the world you've grown up in, this is how authority works. But it's not going to be this way with you. It's not going to be this way in our kingdom. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, appealing to their ambition, right, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. One of the things, and I say this, I guess, a lot, but one of the things that I love so much about the Christian religion is it was not something where the the people up top that made up the whole thing said, uh, here's what you have to do, here's what you have to do, but the rules don't apply to me. Instead, they lead by example, starting with Jesus and then his apostles. He said, I came to serve and give. I expect the same thing from you. And then just to show them how much he meant it, he served to the uttermost. He gave his everything. Serve and give. To give and to serve. It's central to the Jesus movement. It's central to what his kingdom looks like and how it works. We might say that a move to heaven from earth is a move toward selfless from selfish. You can't be and just satisfied with your level of selfishness and be reflecting heaven on earth. And in our families, if we want to reflect some of heaven on earth, we are going to have to figure out how to move to selfless from selfish. Because selfish is where we're all at. And selfish is where we all begin. And selfless is where we need to go. And our kids, our kids are born selfish, right? From a very early age, they let us know what their opinion is (laughs) on just about everything. It's something we get. It's part of that sinful nature that's in us. And so it's up to parents to one, model selflessness in the home, and two, teach selflessness in the home. So let's just talk for the next few minutes about some practical ways maybe that we can do this thing. That we can first off model it and second off teach it. And these are just ideas. I mean, we could preach a hundred sermons on this topic and we could have, you know, you, you could each come up with a long list of ways that we can do this. And you're going to have to figure out what fits in your family. And so what my goal for the next few minutes is just that 
we can spur some ideas in your head, uh, especially with regards to any kids that you may have a relationship with or influence with. So let's start with modeling it. What does it look like for you to model selflessness in the home? That may start with the way you treat your spouse. Doing things for them that they didn't ask you to do. Uh, Writing a note. A sappy love note even. Stick it on the mirror right next to where they brush their teeth. (laughs) Your kids will notice that. Maybe, uh, you know, even acts of service that you do for your kids. I mean, we, we do selfless things for our kids. They probably don't appreciate it, but, you know, maybe someday. But not just in the family, but outside the family as well. Model this for your kids. Do, do you serve outside the home? Not just work for a living, but do you serve outside the home? Do you serve others? Do you help neighbors out when they're in need? Or extended family and friends, do you come running when there's a need? Uh, are you quick to serve others and think of what others need? Kids pick up on this sort of thing. When I was a kid, my uncle got cancer and my dad used to work for him and so they took a leave of absence from their jobs, both of my parents, and moved back to Louisiana to help out until he was through his treatments and stuff. And that made an impression on me. I was in college at the time, but it's like, wow. Willing to drop everything and risk health. That's why they had to leave in the first place, to get out there and work and help during a family member's time of need. Just when opportunities come up, take advantage of them, not only for the obvious reason of doing it to serve because that's what Jesus did for us but also as a chance to model that for your kids and at church plug in plug into a circle plug into ministries and ways to serve and when there's a special event or something you know pitch in and let your kids see that you serve God in the church as well I mean fall festival's coming up right don't just go to fall festival serve at fall festival there's about a 50 billion things that we need you to do. So <laughs> there's uh, lots of opportunities for that. And we'll talk more about that in a second anyway. So, But not only serve, but give. And let your kids see that you give to the church. These are just a few examples of ways that we can model this in our homes. In ways that our kids can pick up on. <clears throat> what about, though, taking this a step further. Not just living it yourself, but actually actively teaching it in your home and in your family. Well, first off, we've got to try to work on selflessness in the home, right? Uh, Because there's a lot of selfishness in the home, especially if you've got siblings, right? Uh, Now, maybe you could say that that only children are the most selfish of all. But... (laughs) You don't notice because they're the only child. So when you really notice is when you've got a sibling. And we're at that stage in our house right now where, uh, you know, Peter's getting old enough that he has his opinions. And, uh, and he likes all of Hadley's toys, you know. And whatever Peter's playing with, Hadley wants to play with, even if it's like a baby toy. And whatever Hadley's playing with, Peter wants to play with. And so they're, you know, pulling each other. You know, this whole crazy thing. And it's selfishness, right? They both want whatever they want and they don't want the other one to have it. Now that's not always the case. Sometimes they do really sweet things and we, you know. But 
we try to work on it. I don't know how much headway we're making, but you know, one of the things you can do is just reward anything that's selfless, right? When when someone when one of them shares something with the other without being asked, you know, we try to throw like a little mini party on the spot. Woo! You know, just be ridiculous. But reward it, especially until it becomes a habit. Reward selfless behavior. Help them to see that that is something that's important to your family. Hey, can you see that? Ladybug. Must be a good omen. (laughs) Sorry, now we're really going to have to work on getting back on track here. Not only in our families, but outside of our families as well. You know, what can your kids do for others? Hadley's talking about donating her hair for her birthday. She was going to get it cut anyway. She's got long hair and she said, hey, she's excited about that uh, possibility. You know, donating toys, she's less excited about. We kind of do that for her. But she's not looking. But someday we're hoping she'll get to that point where that seems exciting to her as well. You know, if your kid's older and it's Christmas break or summer break and we're serving at Grace Place... Um, you know, hey, maybe that's an opportunity. Bring them along with you and serve the poor at Grace Place. You know, when I was uh, when I was a kid, my dad took me to. I think I probably mentioned this before, but my dad took me to clean out the trailer of an alcoholic uh, who was had been taken off to rehab or something, and the trailer was a wreck. And so it was kind of just a service project we were doing for uh, friends of the church and. That made a mark on me. Uh, I just, after that experience, uh, not only was that you know, a selfless act of service that we were doing together that taught me something about that, but it also majorly influenced my uh, relationship to alcohol from that point forward. Uh, it was just a timely lesson, I guess. But find ways to serve outside the family even the things that you do and the the activities you're in you know if you're in sports or dance or whatever have a talk as a family about this is not just extracurricular activity for us this is an opportunity for us to be a witness this is an opportunity for us to serve and encourage people outside of our home and outside of the church and finally in the church let's get better as a church at finding ways for our kids to serve and our teenagers to serve. Let's find ways for them um, to get involved with things. And, and I would recommend too, to you as parents, teach them to give from an early age. From the first things that they receive in the way of money, you know, from grandparents or whatever, you know, whoever is giving them stuff or, uh, you know, allowances if they get that or, um, you know, when they get their first job, help them figure out how that whole tithe thing works because it's a lot easier to start there than it is to get there later. Uh, You know, that's just one of those things you find out. Like, my first paycheck I ever received, I gave 10% of it. And so I've never learned to live on that other 10%. And it's always been God's first. And I've grown in giving beyond that point, but that was where I started. And 
that's a great place for your kid to start too. It's a lot easier than finding yourself right. There's some, some of us can testify when you're up to your eyeballs in debt, or you know, and every paycheck is fully accounted for, and you've got bills that have to go. And then all of a sudden, you're feeling like, man, we really need to be giving. Then you're like, where's that going to come from, <laughs> right? And that's really hard. And so you you know you start making a plan and you start building it in a percentage. But what if we taught our kids from an early age what that looks like, so they never had to go through. Uh, something that challenging and difficult it would just be a part of who they are you'll think of a whole bunch more ways that you can move towards selfless generosity in your home you know your family culture and the culture of your marriage or the culture of you know your relationships and friends you know your personal issues and what things you might need to work on in your own heart to move from selfish to selfless and I would challenge you to do it you know back to our story the uh, the mother of James and John she came and she begged Jesus that one of her sons would sit at his right hand and the other at his left hand you know what Jesus said? He said, you don't know what you're asking. He said, do you think you can drink the cup that I am going to drink? And they said, we can. But they didn't have a clue. The throne that they were asking to sit beside, they didn't realize that it was going to be a cross. They didn't realize that the one sitting at his left and his right would be criminals. They didn't realize that the cup that he asked them if they could drink was the cup of God's wrath. The same cup that Jesus prayed and begged the Father that he would take from him, but which ultimately he chose to drink all the way to the bottom for you and for me. This is the same cup that's talked about repeatedly throughout Scripture and in the Old Testament. In examples like in the Psalms, 75 verse 8 says, For the Lord holds a cup in His hand that is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. And He pours out the wine in judgment, and all the wicked must drink it, draining it to the dregs. And this is the cup that our Jesus drank for us on the cross. And James and John, not having a clue in that moment, said, we can. And Jesus said, in a way you will. And from what we understand, James and John, this same James and John, that all they wanted at this stage in their life was a throne, a seat next to the throne with power and glory would come to a place in their own life where they were willing to lay down their lives and drink a part of that cup as well. Have you ever just paused and thanked God not only for the sacrifice of Jesus but for the sacrifice of His apostles and all those who have come generations down to this very day who are willing to lay their life on the line for the faith 
so that the gospel carries on. You and I would never have even heard of Jesus if it hadn't been for men like James and John, who, though they were weak in faith at one point, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and after the resurrection of Jesus that just blew their minds, were willing to give their everything to carry forward the mission that he began. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. Serving and giving. Giving and serving. And if you ever wondered just how serious Jesus was about it, look no further than the cross. If we want to be different, and we're going to start a series next week called Extraordinary, a call to be different. And it's based on a letter from the Apostle Paul called First Thessalonians. He talks about the Jesus way and how we're supposed to be different. But it starts right here. At moving from selfish to selfless. If you want to stick out in this world in a good way, make that move. Begin making that journey. Because we live in a selfish world. And it stands out when people do things that they didn't have to do just because they want to help someone out. Just because of what Jesus did for them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the cross. For your unique and selfless way of life. We confess that There's a lot of selfishness in our lives that's really hard to root out completely. Holy Spirit, never give up on us. Help us put to death our selfish flesh so that we might live more like Jesus every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.